0: On this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast, we are speaking with the Jay Rieger & Company crew. Co-founder Ryan Mabee, beverage director Andrew Olson, and head distiller Nathan Perry join us to discuss the revival of Jay Rieger & Company, the whiskey-making process, and a behind-the-scenes look at what is to come at the new distillery, which is anticipated to open in mid-July. This interview was recorded at the current J. Rieger & Company distillery in the East Bottoms, so please excuse the recording
1: quality. Ryan Mabey, uh co-founder of VP of Salesland Hospitality. Okay,
0: awesome. So give us an idea. I kind of want to hear the story of how this came to be. And I'm yeah. sure you've told that story <laughs> plenty of time. Yeah, <laughs> the trick is
1: like distilling it. No, No pun intended. <laughs> distilling it down to like a short story because it's you know it kind of encompasses about 130 years oh yeah uh, roughly but basically the way uh we ended up here is you know the company was founded back in 1887 here in Kansas Mm -hmm. City by Jacob Rieger became a big national brand um his son Alexander Rieger built the Rieger Hotel in 1915 to kind of expand their business and their their little growing empire and then uh in 1919 Prohibition happened it put us out of business in 1922 he sold the hotel and then Fast forward 90 years, you know, that history had been long forgotten and kind of buried. I opened Manifesto in the basement of the Rieger Hotel 10 years ago in uh, 2009. And in that process, I discovered the history of J. Rieger and company, the whiskey brand. So as we were opening up the Rieger restaurant, uh, myself and Howard Hanna, um, I was digging into the, to the history of the building, trying to, you know, dig up old photos or any kind of information, or anything I could use to incorporate into the concept of the restaurant and ended up uh, basically trying to tell this story of the whiskey brand and all that as we restored the mural on the south side of the building. And then when we opened in late 2010, Andy Rieger came in. Uh, He was living in Dallas, Texas at the time. He had heard about us opening the restaurant, calling it Rieger, trying to bring back that identity. And he came in to check it out and say hi. And I was like, you and I need to be business partners. Five years later, here we are.
0: So Let's unpack that five years
1: later a little bit because yeah. <laughs> actually it's more than five years. It's like nine years later, but yeah. we've been we've now been back in business for five years. It took me a while. It took us a while to kind of come to a point where we were ready to like really make things happen.
0: Mm-hmm. So what was that initial conversation? Because I know I think someone said it. It varies in whether you ask Ryan or you ask Andy. But a
1: little bit. I mean, basically, I mean, I threw out the idea to him probably not more than 10 minutes after I met him, you know, he walked in on our opening night basically. And, you know, it was one of the first things I said, I was like, Oh my God, you're the great, great, great grandson of Jacob Rieger. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know anybody with the Rieger family up until that point, Mm -hmm. you know, I had no personal connection to the family or anything. And so then getting to meet Andy and, you know, learn that he's part of that lineage and part of that legacy. And I already had it in my head to try and resurrect the brand, Mm -hmm. you know, to me it was like You know, it was a no-brainer. Like right, you know, right from the start. It took a little. It took Andy a little longer to uh, to get to that point than than it did for me. But you know, we actually didn't talk for about a year after that that first meeting that weekend. Uh, He actually came in like three nights in a row um, on our grand opening weekend and uh, brought some old photos, family photos, some other some other memorabilia, that kind of thing. And then I, I didn't talk to him for about a year, and I kept working on my research and the initial objective for trying to bring back the distillery and then I called him a year later and said um, I'd like to talk to you about this again and then we started to talk more frequently at that point and more mm-hmm. serious about it.
0: So what had he been doing since before he met you?
1: He was working he was he was in Dallas and right out of college he went to SMU and he was working for an investment bank down there.
0: Okay so at that point was Jay Rieger and company I mean there was nothing left at that point. There was Just you know, these
1: old bottles and and whatever old yeah, ads and shot glasses we define and that kind of stuff, yeah.
0: Okay. That's amazing just to kind of know that concept, know the history, and even meet him. I yeah. feel like we'd just be just merging Absolutely. all of that together. So yeah. you've got this amazing building that you're working on right now. Well, tell us a little bit about the process, where you are in the process. Mm-hmm. So what still has to go into that?
1: Well, we're actually kind of in, I mean, more or less we're in the homestretch mm-hmm. for for that project. We've been working on on this behind the scenes for the last couple of years pretty you know, pretty intently, um, and we moved into this building here, the warehouse that we're in right now, in uh, May of 2014. So we've been here for almost five years now. But it wasn't until I want to say it was October of 2017 we bought the building and the, the old Heim bottling plant uh, mm-hmm. that's connected to us, with the intention of of moving, expanding our our business into that building. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, around October of 2017, we really started to get serious about architectural drawings, designs, all that stuff, and, and start thinking about how do we expand, what does that look like, and so we've been working on that ever since then, but uh, like the actual physical construction of it really began in earnest last uh, last September.
0: Okay, so tell us a little bit about your history, because I thought that was pretty interesting, too, about kind of your background mm-hmm. and a little bit of the education that you received.
1: Yeah, I mean, my, my entire career has been in the hospitality industry and mostly on the beverage side, so really all began uh, seriously at Pierponts in Union Station back in 1999. So I was on the opening staff for uh, Pierponts. Um, I was 21. I was an apprentice bartender and I just, you know, I fell in love with bartending and decided that I wanted to uh, open up my own bar one day. And so it kind of made that a goal. Over the course of the next six or seven years, I uh, became a a sommelier. I got pretty heavily into the wine side of the business. I uh, worked for a year and a half at a uh, wholesale distributor, a fine wine distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I opened a wine bar in 2006 called JP wine bar downtown. Mm-hmm. That was really my first bar. Um, and then two years later, my business partner and I parted ways and I opened manifesto and that's kind of where the next, yeah, the next chapter begins. So ever mm-hmm. since then, it's really been, it's been all about manifesto and the Rieger and now this. So I
0: know you have Andrew as, right. what
1: was his title again? He's our members director.
0: Okay, so did you help come up with any of the concepts for the cocktails that would be here with him?
1: Yeah, I always have, you know, some insight into that, but I don't, you know, at this point, I I rarely bartend anymore. I mean, it's been a few years now since I've actually worked as a full-time bartender. I've had to, you know, come to terms with reality that I'm not really a bartender anymore, you know, which is okay because I'm... You know doing uh, doing a lot of other things and helping to to build the brand and, and and grow the business so you know andrew's a really talented bartender and you know he worked for us for a while at the rieger um he makes great cocktails he understands my expectations for drinks um and what we're looking for using good ingredients fresh ingredients uh you know trying to achieve balance uh, make the drink you know beautiful not only in flavor but also appearance and all that so so he gets it and, and I trust him and, and what he's doing. So no, I don't, I don't dictate the, the recipes. Um, there are a few that will go on the menu that are kind of like stalwarts of ours, you know, like the horse feather, things like that that we've been doing for a long time that's part of our identity. But when it comes to like the, the next steps in the creative process, that's, mm-hmm. that'll be him.
0: Okay. So thinking about specifically this community, um, mm-hmm. what do you hope that this really brings to the surrounding area in the Northeast specifically?
1: Well, what I really hope it brings, I mean, most importantly, I want to, I want us to be a big part in bringing back the history of this neighborhood. You know, resurrecting that, not necessarily making it something totally different from what it is, but celebrating its its past uh, while while encouraging growth. So, obviously, we want more businesses to be down here. We want to see more development down here, but we don't want to entirely transform it or take away you know from from its history and from that story. So that's why we're we're really celebrating the history of Electric Park and, and the Heine brewery in in bringing back the Heine beer. Um Electric Park will be incorporated into our historic exhibit as well as our outdoor bar will will be known as uh Garden Bar at Electric Park. So, you know, we really want to celebrate that and and make sure that we're being really truthful in our in our telling of the story and, and the renaissance of the neighborhood.
0: Absolutely. So Five years from now, can you give us
1: a quick vision of what you would hope Oh to man, see? <laughs> um, that's, that's so hard to say because if you'd asked me five years ago that same question, I don't know that we'd be sitting here right now yeah. talking about this project. This has all happened so much faster than than we expected. Right. You know, um, At this point now, we've, we've not yet been in business five years, we've been mm-hmm. in business for four and a half years and we're distributed in 21 states and we have four core products and now we have this project that's going to just take you to a whole nother level. So. It's really it's hard for me to to have a five year um, a five year vision or a five year five year goal, but I think most importantly is that we don't want to go so fast that we lose sight of, of what we're doing right now. Like we got to make sure that that you know we we really pay a lot of attention to what this is going to bring to our business and to our neighborhood and to Kansas City, and that we uh, you know we give it the the respect and attention that it deserves and we do it right. Well,
0: I know a lot of people in the area are very excited for this.
1: I think so. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I now live in the neighborhood. I I've always been a big uh, believer in you know fully investing in the neighborhood that I'm I'm working in. And as part of so the Open Manifesto and the Rieger ten years ago, uh, I moved into the Crossroads and I lived in the Crossroads uh, for that entire time until I just recently bought a house here in Northeast and and I want to be a, a part of, of this neighborhood as well. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, we're glad to have you. We're glad to have. Um, this amazing organization here, and just everything that it's going to bring. So awesome! Well, I appreciate your time. Is there anything that you want to add that we might not have touched on today? No, I don't think
1: so. I'm just uh, I'm excited uh, to be a part of uh, you know, the next chapter of this neighborhood in this area.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so go ahead and just state your name and your title for us, please.
2: Uh, Nathan Perry, I'm the head distiller. Okay. Andrew Olson, beverage director.
0: Okay, awesome. So, like I said, I am you know not very knowledgeable about the. Distilling process. So, can you kind of walk us through what that looks like?
2: Um, basically, distilling, and you can start with a couple different things, but you're basically separating by boiling point. Mm-hmm. And what we're looking to do is we're separating out a lot of the ethanol from a fermented product into uh, separating that from the water. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's the basic thing that you're looking to do. And so, when, when it comes to making whiskey, you're starting out with the grain. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, say we're making a bourbon, you're gonna start out with majority corn. Then we can have any other grains in there so we use rye and mm-hmm. then malted barley so we'll take corn rye malted barley we grind it up combine it with water and then we convert all the starches that are in there into sugar mm-hmm. and the sugar gets eaten by yeast and then then we have alcohol and then we okay. take that we put it in our still and then we get whiskey that's okay. a very crude way of looking at it but that's kind of that's a basic okay
0: uh, well maybe i know a little bit more than that Yes. <laughs>
2: yeah
0: so I mean, are you trying to like with this specific brand of mm-hmm. whiskey? Are you what specific flavors or things are you trying to draw out?
2: So basically, what you're looking for when you're making a whiskey is yeah, yeah, it's not uh, like we're an ethanol plant or something like that. Mm-hmm. You're looking for just to get the ethanol. So mm-hmm. maybe i was being a little too simple there. Um, <laughs> but if if you're making whiskey, what you want to do is you're you're kind of getting the hearts is what we actually mm-hmm. call it. Um, you you're looking for the good stuff uh, uh, in there. Are some of the flavors that you're gonna get are called congeners it's uh they're byproducts from fermentation but they are what makes at least from the fermentation of makes whiskey taste like what whiskey tastes like um Mm -hmm. so it's some grainy flavors coming from the corn some sweetness actually from the corn a little spice from the rye and that that um it's all by taste Mm -hmm. uh really so you you could do it by setting set points with temperature and things like that and have a computer try to control it um or like we do it's all by taste um and so you're you're tasting like this is what I want it to taste like. There's really no worry about, and you see a lot of like uh, moonshine when you're talking about methanol or something that, oh, don't drink moonshine to make you go blind, that sort of thing. Uh, as long as you have a controlled fermentation, which we do, um, and it's done in a clean way, which we do, it, there's no worry about uh, going blind. It's all it's all about uh, flavor, yeah. really. So we have a hybrid okay. pot uh, column still currently okay. and then in the expansion actually we're going to have two stills uh specifically set up for making whiskey one is going to be a column still that will make what is called our low wines mm-hmm. so it'll make the first run through really just trying to grab a lot of the ethanol and then um uh, the second run through will be the one for flavor which will go on uh, that still
0: okay so does that determine like the flavor or does that
2: the, it uh, really
0: the way that it's shaped I, or looks
2: uh, yeah the distillation process probably it depends on what you know, what school of thought you're, you're in, um, contributes probably 25 to 40% of the flavor of mm-hmm. finished whiskey. And the rest is going to come from the barrel aging process. Okay. And so that is where the magic happens, which I really don't have a whole lot of control over. It's kind of yeah. unnerving, but, um, it's, it's the truth. Uh, yeah. There's, there's a multitude of interactions going on inside the barrel. People try to oftentimes, um, analyze it and try to get, Oh, it, this is happening. This is happening. So, uh, try to oversimplify it Mm -hmm. um, and then or just maybe speed it up or make it happen faster when really it just takes time it takes time and so there's that's way a lot of the big guys do it um actually all of the big guys are going to be doing it uh, standard 53 gallon barrel and let it age for x number of years and that, that cycle of especially here um, in our building, and really in the Midwest, you, we get these fluctuations of temperature. So yeah. it's cold in, uh, cold in the winter, hot in the summer, and then that actually helps with the maturation process.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so here, mm-hmm. we're not trying to speed up that aging process. We're no. We're just letting it happen. Yeah,
2: you would let it happen. I guess it's going to happen as it has traditionally happened for a long time uh, in uh, Kentucky and you see how their barrels are aging. It's it, almost exactly the same way. We, we actually, we modeled our uh, barrel storage, at least uh, the way we have it set up kind of after what mm-hmm. they've done.
0: So what kind of barrels are they? Uh,
2: these barrels that we have, they're white American Oak uh, with a number three char, which means the inside was actually set fire to it for about 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's got of, uh, American oak, and charred American oak to make bourbon mm-hmm. and rye. Uh, so are these new? Or are they
0: yes, these high? are all
2: new, yeah. Okay. Uh, we do have a whiskey that we put into the blend that can go into a second-use barrel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called a light corn whiskey. The vast majority of our barrels are new. And they actually come from uh, Lebanon, Missouri, so just down the road.
0: So, do you use any barrels that have had sherry, or do you add the sherry? I think I read that somewhere.
2: Yeah, so we add the sherry for the Kansas City whiskey. uh, That was part of our definition of what Kansas City whiskey is. Is actually it's a blend of we use corn whiskey, rye whiskey, Mm -hmm. and then we actually add in the sherry. And so that's a throwback to a, a style that would have been incredibly popular when Jerry Reaker and Company was originally around. And so okay. for us to be able to discover this category of whiskey that was really dead post prohibition um, and then recreate it here in Kansas City was kind of a cool thing. So we, we, yeah. we take uh, the whiskey from the barrels, we'll dump those barrels, we'll taste that, and then we blend it to what our, uh, our standard recipe is, and then we will add the sherry to that. And then once we do that, then we cut it down to proof and we bottle it.
0: Okay. So tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into this? How do you
2: know all this? Luck, just dumb luck. Um, No, I. uh, So my background. uh, I'm a science nerd. I I taught high school for a couple years. Realized (laughs) I didn't want to be a a high school teacher, and then uh, actually worked at Boulevard Brewing Company for five and a half years. And so there, I kind of cut my teeth on making alcoholic beverages. But then uh, worked in the micro lab. Then. Um, whenever uh, Andy and Ryan were looking for someone to come and kind of be in charge of production that was about the same point where I was looking at uh, what's my next step in my career mm-hmm. and I thought it was going to be a boulevard um, I really didn't have any intention of leaving um, and so I, when I met with them at first I thought hey just going to meet and talk and see what they're about and maybe this is a good idea and then it was kind of terrifying to leave a, what I thought was a really, really, really good job for a job with these two guys that I really didn't know and this yeah. kind of startup and uh so, but that was yeah, four and a half years ago now. and it, uh, okay. It's been, I joke and say I got lucky, but I do think I got really lucky. just kind of fell into a job that uh, allows me to do things that I really enjoy and the problem something that I like as far as the production on the alcohol side. And then mm-hmm. not have to worry about, we have, we have Andy on the business side that gets to handle all the, what I would categorize as unfun stuff. Yeah. So to, like, make sure the lights stay on and that right. sort of thing. But okay. yeah.
0: Um, so how does that kind of play into what you do in creating the cocktails? Like, what do you kind of look for in specific spirits, I would say, um, to create the cocktails?
3: I mean, I have ideas of what those standards are in relation to, like, you know, I have an idea of what I... The spectrum is for acceptable versions of those spirits. It kind of depends. Like, my inspiration comes from a lot of different places, so it's not always maybe... Sometimes the drink is designed around the spirit. Sometimes I taste the spirit, and that pushes me in a certain direction. And both of those are so completely separate, like, thought process. You know, looking at the whiskey and the sherry being added to it, that definitely creates some, like, extra layers of character and flavor
2: and aroma that you wouldn't normally get uh, everything we make at least on my side has got to be scalable whereas next door um hey you know what i think would be cool on a drink but doesn't exist is uh this and uh, so we can be like hey, let's take this spirit and distill it with this and we can try it on a real small scale and try it and see if it works mm-hmm. um and that may end up being a commercially viable product or it may not be and so but just having the ability to get to do that and then have a a spot to it's not just like having a tasting room uh where it's like hey try this apricot liqueur i don't know but but like try this thing try this as it's utilized in these cocktails and see how versatile this is and so that's i'm I'm really looking forward to that because i think the way we've kind of got some stuff set up there it's really gonna allow on both sides uh like creative juices just kind of to flow and kind of interweave. And so it'll be a really cool setup.
0: Can you give us some uh, glimpses into maybe some of the cocktails that you're going to be serving?
2: I think the big focus
3: and uh, for us and what we're doing and what we're going to be doing that no one's ever really done in the history of beverage culture is having so many different cocktails on draft at one time. Upwards of 21 cocktails on draft at any given point mm-hmm. um, once once we get the, the full, you know, scope of the building completely operating right. with the patio and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and we will have, uh, four lines dedicated, uh, on every bar that will be dedicated to the core products. So for the whiskey, we'll have horse feathers on draft, uh, for the gin, we'll be doing uh, a seasonal gin tonic, making our own tonic syrup and, and tonic water essentially. Uh, but flavoring it based on the season that we're in. Um, and then with the vodka, we're going to work on a recipe for the Casey ice water, which is like a, an old like dive bar cocktail that has kind of resurfaced in the last five to 10 years in the Casey area. Um, and then the cafe Amaro, a friend of ours at the Rieger restaurant, he developed a drink that was cafe Amaro based using a, um, DJC called capoletti that's very it's very campari like in it's bitterness but it has a lot of vanilla notes Punta Mace, which is like a bitter italian uh vermouth mm-hmm. and that's carbonated and diluted with water and it. it's this very uh, orange chocolatey uh is kind of the cocktail that we were going after but it's oh. very light refreshing slightly bitter low alcohol very effervescent Jay Rieger's involvement in the growth of Kansas City since 1887 has been really important. Mm-hmm. And and flipping that, the growth of Kansas City has been really important to Jay Rieger. Um, and that's as we're seeing now. And so there's just a lot of Casey stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I've thought about uh, a whole like, fountain, like city of fountains menu using like names of different fountains around town is like...
1: Inspiration oh, yeah.
3: for cocktails and water from those fountains in the cocktail. would be awesome. Perfect. <laughs> um, with Kansas City's like insanely eclectic history and, and yeah. there's just so much that's gone on and that's so important to what we're doing. Kansas City is it's like the ultimate inspiration because there's so much.
0: I know you guys are doing the high beer, mm-hmm. correct? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Uh, yeah, we actually got to try it yesterday.
0: Okay, um, how was it? It was awesome
2: phenomenal. Yeah? Yeah, it was
3: good. And it's only going to
0: be here, right? You, it's not going to be right. distributed. Okay.
2: Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah um, KC Beer, they're going to be the ones that do it. And we thought it made the most sense to have them, because since they are it's just so true to uh, German brewing mm-hmm. here in Kansas City, it makes make sense if we were going to revive something that was made by the Himes. Um, yeah. Because this building is the old bottle. Right. The yes. building we're going yeah. yeah, That we'd want to uh, utilize some very traditional uh, German methods. And so what actually, what Carlton ended up doing was... Uh, trying to go back and, like, where would the Himes have been from and looked regionally and thought, okay, this would be probably the yeast strain they would use. So it's a Bohemian yeast strain. So it's different than the yeast strain that they would normally use. So they actually brought it in just to make this one little test batch. And now they're going to, uh, after we tasted it, and we were all like, this is really good. Mm-hmm. They, they uh, We were all uh, going home for it. And so and then they were going to use uh, Saz hops, Czech Saz hops, because of where we could kind of guess where they come from. So what it ends up is... Uh, it's an incredibly drinkable, a uh, beer... Chuckable uh, is, we, were, we both had the <laughs> feedback from
3: just slamming it. Just, it, yeah, was just so refreshing it re- yeah, refreshing, but
2: then also just not boring either. It's, yeah. So it's uh, it, had, it actually has flavor. The, the hops came through, and it's not like when people think about hops, they think about an IPA or something that's just not overly aggressive, but just really hop forward. This had a nice hop presence, but it was just well-balanced and really drinkable. It's going to be approachable. From both beer drinkers, like beer nerds, and then just your average yeah, so light like, drinker, like now, Tommy, or and, one of my distillers. Yeah, and that was the goal: <laughs> yeah. is, to, is to get a
3: beer that, if someone was to ask for a light lager of some sort, um, that they would be able to get something that was light enough, refreshing enough, crisp. The aroma was was relatively hoppy, uh, but then drinking it, like that aroma wasn't necessarily completely confirmed. Like there's definitely hop characteristic, but it smelled hoppier than it actually tasted. Yeah. So, but then when you drink it and it's not as hoppy, it's, it's just this like clean,
2: easy finish. Like you said yesterday, like really good with food. Um, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to eat. Well, maybe I was just hungry there too. Yeah. But like also it just, I felt like it was going to be, it would balance really well because it was so clean and it would be, right. help finish up if you were to have something like, I was thinking sausage, like I was, totally. I was going to Germany I was like sausages and mustard wrapping, yep. and sauerkraut because yeah. it would just cut Astros. through and it, it, totally. do a great job with that.
0: Now, what's is it gonna like tank seven? Like, alcohol volume is it gonna be it's pretty
2: low. I think eight, it was eight, just five or just uh, over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't have a final number yeah. on it, uh, but it was gonna be it was it was going to be something that was not overly aggressive. But yeah. Tank seven could we always joke that uh, when I used to work at Boulevard, it was it was sneaky. Uh, because it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it drank really like something that is. wasn't eight and a half percent alcohol. But this will be something where you be. it's
0: a drinkable drinkable beer with an adult slide and you got your <laughs> whiskey and I'm like, I don't even know what's going to happen over yeah, there.
3: you <laughs> got really good insurance.
0: Okay, cool. There you go. That's the key.
2: That's a ticket. <laughs> well, yeah, awesome. yeah, the beer is the exciting. It'll be the yeah. best time beer that's ever existed. It's true. If we joke about the, probably the methods they would have had to make beer back when they were originally making it would have been a lot more crude. The controls that Casey Beerco has... Uh, it's just going to be better, and they have a penchant for just making something, doing it the right way, uh, allowing it to lager the, the amount of time that it actually needs to lager to make it a better beer. Like, uh, I mean, I'm really excited to be working with them.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the most importantly is the reason why we chose to go with them is because there is there is no one else in town that really could come up with those flavors, and what I mean that's that's their wheelhouse is is these like Austrian, Czech, Bavarian, German like styles of beer like mm-hmm. that's where they that's where they've made their money and they've done really well at
0: because this bottling plant was 1901 i it was believe
2: built in 1901
0: yeah. okay okay
2: what i think would be great for this area and what i think we get to hopefully be at the start of is bringing more people down here because right mm-hmm. now a lot of times what you'll come down here for is you know frank over knuckleheads has had people coming down and get a good spectrum of crowd but generally, evenings there's not there's not near as much as there's some commercial traffic during the day, mm-hmm. but other than that, um, we're not not bringing this much down. So yeah. by us, we, we needed to expand our actual production capacity, so that needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And then having a uh, hospitality side to it, uh, we're going to be bringing people down here. And so, gosh, I, I'm excited for the next you know five to ten years to see what yeah. kind of. Music. Other businesses can pop up down here because it's going to be mutually beneficial. It's, you know, they'll bring people down and, and vice versa. Um,
0: anything that you're going to do um, beverage-wise, um, maybe to honor Electric Park? Oh, do you know absolutely. Yet? I, okay. mean,
3: I mean, there's so much history in Electric Park mm-hmm. and the theme park and the Heim family that that in and of itself is huge inspiration one of
0: the last things i was curious about mm-hmm. is the coffee shop are you guys going to have the coffee shop or what is that going to look like and yes. are you going to be over that yeah
3: so right now working with Bo nelson of the mm-hmm. they are part of one of our core products in the cafe morrow we have always exclusively even just with our coffee profits over there it's always been the coffee and we want to continue that relationship and have that be a part of our brand building but also supporting them and their growth. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we'll have some sort of outpost on the second floor of Valmay's coffee and I'll I'll be in control of that. Working with Bo to come up with drink recipes and sourcing equipment and that sort of thing. That will be available nine AM every day. Yep. That's the, on the second floor. So then really that second floor is designed to be just that. Like we want people to just come up, bring your laptop, order mm-hmm. coffee, stay for three hours. We want people to treat the space as like a, their office that's not actually at home
0: well, thank you guys for your time yeah, i really appreciate um, it yeah absolutely cool. yeah good to see thank you again you. Yeah. yes see you too you too and that was Jay rigger and company co-founder ryan maybe beverage director andrew olson and head distiller nathan perry thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the northeast newscast i'm lane streisner